Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we begin, want to remind you all to join the new Union Sports Goalkeeping Community, a social media network that reimagines how we engage, educate, and entertain one another. To download free, go to www.theunionsports.com or the Union Community on Apple or Google Play stores. Thanks for making the Union possible, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me is a virtual superheroes, Avengers-style <laughs> matchup of goalkeeper coaches and experts extraordinaire. We've got the one and only 99 World Cup winner, Saskia Weber, uh, with her Angel City FC moniker right in the background right there. Guest panelist, you know him, you love him. He doesn't really need an introduction. He's been on the show, I think, 40 times. The one and only Todd Hofford. And joining us for this very special occasion, uh, we have two gatos today. We have La Gata and El Gato, the one and only LA Galaxy goalkeeper coach, Kevin Hartman. What's up, dude? How are you guys? Excited to be here. I mean, honestly, we're really excited about this. Uh, first off, I think this topic is going to be really awesome. I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy this. And uh, another cool thing is the fact that you and Todd uh, have a little bit of relationship back. So he's like, hey, do you mind if I hop on? It's really cool when like, when people such as Todd like to say, hey, I really want to come on the show and just hang out with you guys. Well, how could you not want to you know, hang out with, with the likes of people? I mean, <laughs> I'm not not paying attention. I'm trying to set up. I'm watching. I'm watching a game. No, just kidding. That'd be hilarious. That'd be hilarious if you were just just watching right. another game. Well, I mean, the Champions League draw was already happened, so the Champions League uh, uh, qualifiers. By the way, shout out to Josh Cohen. I don't think a lot of people realize this that Josh Cohen is an American goalkeeper playing for Maccabi Haifa uh, over in Europe, over in Israel, and they're in the Champions League. And I think they got drawn with uh, PSG and Juventus. Uh, so uh, talk about a, a goalkeeper's dream, Kevin, American goalkeeper to get to play against Leo Messi and, and Mbappe and Weston McKinney, obviously, you know, I'm sure that was his dream his entire life. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to, uh, to see that legacy of, of American goalkeepers over, over in Europe finding some success. You know, that was, that was always the, the kind of MO when, when I was kind of coming through and had the opportunity to watch Brad Friedel and Casey Keller and this, and Ian Foyer um, and, a, and a bunch of the guys that were over there kind of plying their trade before we had access uh, to professional soccer here in the United States. So it's uh, it, it's cool that that legacy kind of continues. Um, the, the groups, uh, the, the Israeli uh, teams uh, in, in, at Maccabi and, and some of the other uh, cities there, it, it's, it's actually a really interesting brand of football. We had the opportunity to host a a number of the clubs when I was down at IMG for our super group, come down and play against Tottenham and actually won a big match uh, a few years ago. So uh, it, it's cool to see that legacy kind of continue uh, as we speak. No, I Todd, agree. You... I agree. I Go agree. Ahead. Kevin, it's good to see you. Good hey. to see you. <laughs> no, I agree. And everybody's always said what's in the water in America with goalkeeping, period. You know, we've always been able to excel overseas and in whether it's in the Premier League or wherever it is with the men. Um, you know, it's something we should be proud of. 
and, and and I think you know one of the things too, you know, Kevin, I, I love what you were just saying there in regards to you know um, having experience against these these different levels, the different leagues, and everything like that. Todd, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been coaching at the professional level and also at the youth level for so many years. You know, I, I don't think there's a lot of young goalkeepers out there that recognize that there's opportunities for them overseas as well, and not just the Premier League, and not just Serie A and La Liga. And you know, you can make a name for yourself in another league if, if the opportunity comes. You certainly can. I mean, obviously, the the high profile is the Premier League or La Liga that everybody watches on TV on the weekends. But there is so many other leagues. I mean, you've got a lot of uh, the lower leagues in England, the championship. You, you know, I've worked with a lot of goalkeepers. I'm sure Kevin has as well that have gone over to Finland, gone over to Denmark, gone over, you know, to some of these regions that you don't really think of as big powerhouse footballing nations, but they do really well. They have good, solid leagues. And it's, it's a great league for a, especially a young goalkeeper to kind of, you know, cut their teeth a little bit in, in the pro game and, and uh, learn a little bit different type of style of play, uh, especially off the cross, which is, as we all know, one of the biggest weaknesses in youth goalkeeping. And tell you, you go yeah. to the young, the, the lower leagues in some of these Scandinavian countries in England, in Germany, and it's all about the cross. And it is a very big learning experience for some of these goalkeepers to go and do that. You know, and by the way, Kevin, feel free to step in any any time you want right here. But obviously, you know, when you were coming up in the game and, and you were playing at a very high level here professionally and obviously, you know, a very established career that you had, um, it wasn't it, it wasn't as open, I, I would say, for for American goalkeepers to come over here. You know, you were talking about, you know, you had your national team keepers like a Casey Keller, Brad Friedel, but you you didn't see a lot of young goalkeepers going over and, and joining academies and, and coming through lower divisions, did you? No, I, I think, you know, like you mentioned, that the goalkeepers that were over there were usually goalkeepers that um, that had accumulated enough international caps that they were able to, to get work permits. You know, it wasn't necessarily guys that had uh, had kind of figured out the, the more nuanced approach of having a grandparent, figuring out citizenship, having dual nationalities, <laughs> et cetera, that, that it, it's in the big business that it's really become. I mean, these were guys that were really kind of the, the heartbeat of the of the men's national team and had been able to accumulate either 50, 75 percent of the, the matches so that they were able to to gain work permits in places that were really not easy to get work permits unless you could prove that you were capable of taking the job right. from from an English citizen. Yeah, I think that even for me going to Japan, I didn't get taken when I when I they first when I first tried out and stuff because they're they had to weigh, you know, we have three places on the team for international players. Are we going to put one as a goalkeeper? And it was like, do we pull like a, you know, a midfielder and two forwards? And so you had to fight against that. So I think that you have to prove your worth in order to steal one of those work permits. Yeah. You know, and I, th I think, you know, that's, that's a really good point right there, Saskia, in regards to, you know, one thing that I've always heard, you know, and Todd and Kevin, feel free to step in on this right now because you guys have more experience with this, is that you have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are better than a domestic option for them to give one of those international slots to you. Yeah, no, I, th I think that for, for sure, just from, uh, you know, it was interesting because I was talking to one of the assistant coaches the other day that I currently work with. and. He was having some trouble getting back to Canada at some point during his time at Toronto. And, they're, and they literally called him out. They're like, so what makes you so much better than our Canadian coaches? And the guy is obviously a humble guy. It's not going to be like, well, I can do this. I can do that. And uh, it was it was actually pretty intriguing to kind of see all, all the uh, 
the hoops that you kind of have to jump through to make these work permit things work, um, you know, I, as as things have really evolved um, and being involved a little bit more with the academy for the past number of years, there's certainly situations where people are working ahead of it and making sure that they, they do have some of those things sussed out ahead of time by getting passports and figuring out nationality through their grandparents, et cetera. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you can really kind of identify where these American citizens are located. But uh, to, to be honest, I, I've, if you spend some time on Scout, you figure out some of the filters, you're able to figure out who has dual nationality, who has passports, and it really allows you to kind of look at uh, to scout more effectively at this point. And so it's good to see these players getting experiences throughout uh, top leagues and, and leagues within, uh, within Europe. It, it really was extremely limited uh, you know, even when I was a senior in high school, I think was the first, I mean, senior in college was the first year that uh, MLS was really coming about. And I felt really lucky to kind of have that opportunity and not have to, to go over and travel like, like many goalkeepers did, especially the generation that was even, you know, three, four years before, before I came along. You know, I, yeah, Mike, ironically... I, Mike, I got my dual citizenship to play. Did you really? So, yeah. I mean, I'm a Dutch citizen and it's not my grandparents, it's my mom. And I fell under some weird rule or something. I was the first daughter. They're like, oh, it's weird. And I like $25 later in the embassy and I had my, my citizenship. But it was because I was considering like, well, maybe I'll go overseas and coach or play. So. When I think yeah. it really, and I think when, you know, Kevin was talking about the, you know, back in the day, the Casey Kellers and the, the Brad Friedels, Ian Foyers, they kind of set the groundwork that if you look at MLS today, I think on the flip side, I think it's great for the American goalkeeper because now they're in a situation here in MLS that it's the opposite. Yeah. In order for a foreign goalkeeper, they have to be that much more exceptional than the American goalkeeper. So I think it, it actually helps the American goalkeeper uh, that uh, we've had some guys that have gone across and, and done extremely well and kind of set a standard. Yeah. Uh, and the one, the, the American goalkeeper is typically a lot less expensive when you have a salary cap issue that you got to deal with. You always have to, anytime a foreign player comes in, you have to pay more. Um, so I think it, it truly benefits the American goalkeeper, which I think all four of us on this panel, you know, we love American goalkeeping and I think it's a great opportunity for them. Well, I, I, I want to say this right now because a lot of people are probably like turning their heads right now because they're like, well, Jonathan Bond, Jonathan Bond's the goalkeeper for the LA Galaxy. What are you talking about? And But, but a lot of people, Kevin, don't know that, that Bondy has an American lineage and that's how he was able to come over, right? Yeah, his, his mother is, uh, is is an American, grew up, she might live actually currently up in the Seattle area. So, um, yeah, we, I think it was one of the ways that we were able to uh, you know, expand expand our roster by also not necessarily having to delve too deeply into, uh, you know, our international spots. And Derek Williams was another player uh, that came from the championship that has American citizenship that was uh, what we were able to slide in at the beginning of last year. So so those some, some of those more nuanced roster building moves are, are things where uh, you're able to discover who, who's got some American lineage and who doesn't. I keep telling Bondi that I expect him to put his heart hand over his heart during the national anthem so that I can make a push for him to, to get more international looks. But uh, he hasn't really been listening to me as of late. <laughs> now, you know, it, it's funny that it's funny that you said that Kevin, because uh, you know, Todd, you know, one of the things that, that you, you were just trying to talking about it, like cutting your teeth, you know, overseas and then, you know, coming back to the United States, I think it's really, really fascinating now that the United States, and, and obviously, you know, you've, you've been in MLS and 
both of you guys have seen kind of the, the genesis of MLS to where it is today. Um, you know, and Todd, you're a little bit out of it. You can probably speak a little more freely than Kevin. So I'm not going to put him uh, on the, on the stand right here, but um, it's, it's now becoming a destination league. I mean, it's literally a place people want to come and play. It is. And it's, it's exciting. You know, you see some of the names and some of the, the windows now that, that are even rumored that you never remotely would have thought of before. Uh, it, it was a, a truly exciting time when I, Spent my days in MLS, and uh, it's only going to get bigger. It's only going to get better. Um, hopefully, the money starts continuing to to come into the league, which I'm sure it will. But but it's great to see that it's not considered that quote unquote retirement league like they yeah. used to talk about back in the day, uh, where it is a destination. And now you're getting. I think those those new DP roles that they stated have really really helped with having some of the younger DPs. So you're getting some more of of those younger players from South America, Europe, things like that, that are coming over. And, and they're looking at it as this is the time for them to really play uh, and make a name for themselves. So that, I think it's an awesome time to be part of the league uh, or a fan or, or whatever. So, and I think the future is really, really bright. And hopefully this world cup, this winter is going to even springboard it even more. Yeah. Yeah, let's 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 hope on that, um, guys. Let's let's delve into this topic because I, I know this is like a really meaty one right here, and I think everybody's got a lot of opinions on this. Uh, today's topic is uh, because of Kevin. Kevin's the one that came up with this, and I was like, this is way more brilliant than what I was thinking. Uh, it's a uh, indirect goal prevention, which uh, which is definitely something that that a lot of people out there probably are like that sounds very complicated. But in a succinct way, Kevin, can you explain what you mean by indirect goal prevention? So. When, when I break down goalkeeping, I view the techniques of goalkeeping as maybe as solutions to scenarios that are inherent and they'll show up in matches, right? And so I consider direct threats to be anything that would be a shot or a breakaway type scenario. And then indirect threats would be cross balls, through passes, or anything where the goalkeeper is eliminating the school, a goal scoring opportunity before it fully evolves. So uh, that, that's how we would look at the defensive side. And then on the offensive side, we're either in possession of the ball or we're restarting possession. So that's... Uh, that's kind of the way that, that I perceive the game. I know um, there's goalkeeping experts in England that have kind of started to kind of put these things in kind of a succinct way that you can kind of view it. I know Tim Dittmer did a little bit of work with it. And so, uh, you know, it's just a way to maybe get away from the technical side of it um, and really just allow you to think about things a little bit more from a tactical perspective and how they actually fall within a match. I, I love I love what you're saying right there. You know, Stuskia, this is a conversation that I know that 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 you've had in regards to you when you're coaching at you know the collegiate level and everything like that. Because a lot of them come from a youth environment where they focus so much on the final action. And every goalkeeper that you go and see at a college ID camp has great technique when it comes to making a save on final action. But you put them in the game and you're like, oh, that was not the goalkeeper I just saw in training. Yeah, the, you know, the translation from a, a training goalkeeper into a, a, a game goalkeeper, not everybody can do it. And not everybody can take those tactical skills and technical skills and put them on the field in the run of play. And I agree, you know, with Kevin said, I, you know, there is a difference between through balls. They're not a direct threat. How are you cutting that off? Like, um, is it a direct like breakaway on goal? Is it a direct shot on goal? I'm kind of on the cusp with uh, corner kicks and stuff because I, I feel because, as we just said in the beginning, like 
people aren't handling the cross very well. Um, I feel that it's it's just a restart. It's it's just a it's a free kick from a bad angle. <laughs> like that's how I look at it. You know, it's it's the same. It's a direct threat to me, and I I think that we see so many goals from um, a corner or a ball that's um, brought into the the corner of the field, not even a corner, but into that area and served and the runs on goal. I think that's a direct, a direct threat. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, by the way, there's, there's a question in the comment section here that I want to throw in here before we kind of move on with this topic, because I think it actually kind of goes hand in hand, uh, with, with what we're talking about here. And I think the evolution of the goalkeeping position is a reason why you might be seeing less and less American goalkeepers, uh, heading over at least in, in the men's game right here. And that's from Itzik Rappaport right here, uh, from Mental Coach Pro. Uh, Itzik Rappaport, who just did a webinar for us yesterday on the union. Um, and he says, you guys talked about what's in the water for American goalkeepers. Why do you think we I... produce world-class <laughs> goalkeepers and less playmakers? Now, I, I want to change that and say, why did we used to produce world-class goalkeepers <laughs> and less Look playmakers? <laughs> Look at Todd. He's like, yeah, yeah. used yeah. to. <laughs> Yeah. Todd, you want to step in on that? I mean, yeah, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to. I think one of the big things for us, it be, it's a more natural position, I think, for the average American workers. We grow up basically playing a, so many games with our hands, yeah, you know, great. baseball, basketball, football, tennis, you know, that general eye-hand coordination is, I think, a lot more natural for the, for the American athlete uh, just because of the variety of sports we play. Uh, now you, you, you bring in that general athleticism and you start to tie in some technique and a little bit of knowledge and you've got the makings of developing some good young goalkeepers. And I think we did that for many, many years. Um, and I think we kind of, in the men's and the women's side, I think we kind of rested on our laurels a little bit just with that adage as, oh, we, we've got great goalkeepers <laughs> and we stopped focusing on it. We lost yeah. kind of sight of what we needed to be doing. I'm hoping we, we are rekindling that a little bit now. Um, in recent years, we've started to see some more you know youth goalkeepers in the men's and women's games starting to climb the ladder a little bit. Hopefully that continues. Uh, but I think from the very, very top at our federation, we have to put a little bit more onus. Uh, we have to put a little bit more um, grit and substance behind it with goalkeeper curriculums, you know, mm -hmm. and some consistency in our training and, you know, that takes money, that takes manpower. Uh, and we need to be able to, you know, focus a little bit more if we want to kind of get back to where we were, you know, back 15 years ago. But, uh, but so I think, Todd, you know, just to step in right here and, and, and to bring this up with Kevin right here, because he's, he's currently in the game right here. I think, you know, you're bringing up Tim Dittmer and, you know, uh, defending the goal, defending the area, you know, defending the space, all those sorts of things. And that type of terminology that they're using. I mean, it's, it's no it's no small wonder that England is producing high level goalkeepers in both the men and women's game uh, with with the work they're doing over there. And I think that attitude that it's just had right there. Are that, they? I think, yeah, I believe are they, they are. I mean, I believe they are. Look at the majority of goalkeepers starting in the EPL. Are they all English? They're not. De Gea is oh, not English. Well, we just, we just like, wait a minute. Box, yeah. Wait a minute. They may be playing in the English league, but that doesn't mean they're English. I'm just, Kevin, I'm just you, making, Kevin, you I'm want just to step making in? a comment. Kevin, you <laughs> want to step in? No, I, I mean, I, I think that they're, they're certainly, you know, top English goalkeepers, you know, no doubt. I think one of the things that we have to remember is, um, just the infrastructure of 
a play within the United States. And, you know, for a long time, uh, we didn't necessarily have a reserve league. The reserve league in w- that we had was a re- reserve league in which you would play in front of maybe your girlfriend and your parents on Sunday mornings. <laughs> and it, it didn't necessarily do anything that would emulate so what, it, what, it, what, it, what it was like to, to play at the top level match. And while it's experience, it's not relevant experience. And I think for a long time, um, there were guys like myself, you know, guys like Nick Romando and Joe Cannon and John Bush that really just kind of monopolized experiences at the top level of soccer in the United States. And so then you have a group of reserve goalkeepers um, that don't necessarily get their first opportunity until they're 28, 29 years old right. in, in pressure situations. And so it, it's a lot easier for, you know, somebody like, Peter Vermees at Kansas City to go and find Jimmy Nielsen, who is, you know, found games in Scandinavia, et cetera, is kind of is maybe a, a lot further along, you know, than, than somebody that might have been within the roster for the entire time that I, that I was there for three years, you know. And so it, it was it was a struggle. I don't think we we totally figured out, um, you know, how to do it even today. I think they're still working through their MLS Next Pro. I think you're still looking at some top-level goalkeepers within within the USL Championship. But uh, in, in actuality, it's, it's, it's really tough to not have the infrastructure to be able to produce, um, you know, ha- battle-hardened goalkeepers here in the Uni- United States, whereas if you're playing in the championship, you know, you have the premiership, you have League yeah. One, there's – a number of different opportunities that don't necessarily exist within the states at the current time um, that, or maybe they do now, but they haven't necessarily proved their value uh, over a number of years. And I think that that's one of the things within the infrastructure of, of the English FA that, that you would see, you, you have the opportunity to make a living as a professional and get experiences. You can go on loan. You know, there, there's a lot more dynamics that, that are available that don't necessarily, uh, you know, we ha- we don't have those here yet. I agree. So, and we uh, talked about this before, Mike, where, where on the women's side, where we look at like a, a heritage or somebody that has, has gone overseas that has said, I'm not going to sit third on the totem pole for an NWSL team. I'm going to go play. I'm going to go play wherever, but I'm going to go get, like you said, Kevin, game hardened. I'm going to get my time in. I'm going to get like for me when I went to Japan, I got abused, but I got games in and games in and games in because I sat behind Bry for so long. But I was I was ready because I was playing. And I think that, you know, the ability to do that as a goalkeeper and then come be able to come back and start and walk into an Angel City or something like that and be you know, be one of the top goalkeepers in the league. The only reason she could do that sitting third in the NWSL with no other place to play. And it's the same thing on the women's side. Where are you going? There's no, there's what the W league or something, no offense on the W league, but you know, same thing. You're playing in front of your, you know, your wives or your boyfriends or your husbands on the weekends. So being able to, to have the access to that is key for a goalkeeper because we don't sub goalkeepers. You don't get played. And I, I think I think you all are bringing up really valid points right there. And, and Todd, I want to talk to you about this because, you know, kind of getting back to the, the meat and potatoes, uh, shout out to John Bush right there uh, on that, that term right there for the topic of indirect goal prevention. Well, if you're not seeing the pictures, like how the heck are you really going to know what the correct starting position is with this player, that player or whatever, if you're, it's all conceptual because you're only on a training field. 
Well, it, it's got to go hand in hand at the end of the day. You, you've got to have the training aspect on the training field and then be able to apply it when you're on the game field. And if you're only ever getting half that, that picture, so to speak, it's very difficult to really have any consistency at all. Uh, and that's one of the big things where, you know, we always say you got to be able to play. Uh, and if you're finding yourself in third as a third choice, you're probably better off somewhere else uh, where at least you might even be getting a game every month or something like that or get loaned out. Um, but it all starts on the training field. You know, the, when I, I love the topic that, that Kevin's brought in here because I, I look at this topic is what really, truly separates goalkeepers from shot stoppers. Because uh, mm. for me, they're two totally different beasts. There's a lot of people that can stop shots, but there's not a lot of goalkeepers. Uh, and there's, there's goalkeepers, I won't mention any names in the Premier League, that I would call a shot stopper as opposed to a goalkeeper. Uh, and as well at MLS and, and all the different levels, mm-hmm. you know, and do you have to have an element of being a shot stopper? Absolutely. But being in the right place at the right time, being in a set position, you know, being at the right angle, um, that's to me what really separates it. And that starts on the training ground, you know, with somebody like Kevin, you know, kind of behind the goal, you know, talking to him, you know, could you asking questions? Could you have maybe been a little bit higher? Did you need to be a little bit lower? You know, were you truly set? What did you see? And, and those types of questions, I think, really helps develop that goalkeeper on the field live as well as, you know, afterwards, uh, you know, breaking down video, watching match play. And then, OK, now can they go apply it when they actually got to perform on the Saturday? Todd, I love what you just said about what you did you see, because, Kevin, I think and, and you were obviously involved as a director of the Youth Academy at LA Galaxy. A lot of times you'll ask, what did you see? They don't know what to say. Because they, they haven't really been scanning the field. They haven't really been engaged and present. And, and, and how can we start implementing this into our session design so that they start learning what to see and when to see it? You know, I, I think, you know, for me, a lot of it, and, and Todd kind of alluded to it, becomes it's, it's important to understand the capabilities of all the players on the field. Um, it's not a ball and an angle and a set size of a goal you're talking about um and and you can certainly maybe overestimate the capabilities of the opponent maybe underestimate the capabilities of your teammates so then you can find this happy working medium right but um i i think what can what can threaten the space behind is obviously the pace of the pass the speed of the opponent how fast are you like where does all where do all these um, intricacies kind of fit within the scenario and how it's going to break down. And, and the more that you're able to see that in training, uh, th- then I think the, the, the more success that you're going to find. But if you're only kind of operating in obstacle courses off to the side, I, I don't really ever think that you get the ability to kind of gauge how these things fit within the game. Um, and there's, a lot, there's certainly a lot of people that are able to do an effective job of it, but it is it ideal? No. And so I think you really need, you, you really need the, the head coach and to, to really kind of buy into the fact that we, we need to really kind of paint these scenarios. We need our keepers involved uh, in the training session and, and, and all of these things really need to kind of mesh well together so that we can, we can create scenarios in which goalkeepers can have experiences. Uh, and, and then the next time they see that same experience, they're able to come up with a solution more quickly. They're able to uh, concisely and efficiently relay information so that the defenders can assist them with it. And then it becomes small group goal defense rather than just the goalkeeper uh, and a ball. 
I, I love what you just said right there. And, you know, Suskia, you know, this is something that I think is, is really, really important, especially, and obviously you were involved in the collegiate game for a while, and why you were so adamant that you needed actual field players to get involved within your session designs, whether whether it's a player that's, that, 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 you know, that is, there's surplus players left over, whether there's a player who's just serving because they're not fit enough to play in the match, you know, whatever it is, because they actually, they can, you, it's very difficult for the goalkeepers to simulate the actual scenario of the pace, the strength, mm-hmm. the agility, all of that. No, it's, you know, it was very important because like, <laughs> like Kevin said, you can be doing obstacle courses on the side, like, how does that translate? And so the, as much as I could use field players and, and the you know team field players, you know, not, hey, kid, what are you doing over there? You know, come here. <laughs> like, like serious field players that whether they were rehabbing, whether the, whatever they were doing, whether utility players or stuff, to, to simulate the game speed, game pace, game scenarios within my training session was, was paramount. Like, it had to happen because, you know, you, you can't, you can't otherwise, you know, and as much as we can incorporate our, our technical sessions into, and then translate it into, in training, into real game scenarios with the team at game speed, at game pace, seeing different situations, um, then, then you can develop a goalkeeper that might be number two um, and have them ready to possibly play. Todd, any, anything you want to add to that in regards to in regards to because I, I this is a conversation this is a debate that I have with people all the time and I, I know club directors youth club directors especially say this to me all the time they say well I can't I can't spare players I can't spare players I can't spare players well and and I agree with both I mean absolutely hundred percent you have to be able to recreate that but even as much as we try to recreate it it's never it's true. never the same as a full fledged real game never so. If, if you can just imagine that if you're not even have the ability to recreate at some level in training, man, how are you ever going to be able to expect them to be able to do it on a Saturday or a Sunday because they've never even seen it at maybe three quarters pace. How can we have them that at hundred miles an hour? Uh, so, but it, it's, it, it, it's huge. Uh, it takes a lot of planning uh, it, it truly does. And not just you sitting down, figuring out your ses- sessions, but having communication with the, the manager, the assistants, what are they going to be doing? How, okay. And now how, and that's why I always, I work backwards. I figure out what they want to do and then, okay, how am I going to implement in to that? Uh, and how am I going to build into that is what the way I always try to do it. And I'm sure we all have different ways of skinning the cat, so to speak. Uh, no reference to Elgato, but yeah, and, and, and to be frank, and to <laughs> All be, right. you had to go there. You had to go there, Tom. <laughs> and to be frank, I think I I'm like, really what? lucky in the fact that you know I have uh, I have a couple hours before training every day. We stay a couple hours after training each day, so it, it, it makes it a lot easier. And it's, and it could theoretically, you know, maybe be unrealistic at, at you know at the youth level from some perspective, unless you're in maybe a top academy, like where you have full-time people. But um, I, I do think that it's, it's unique, the, the working environment that I am in, in terms of, you know, the access to, you know, to contribute to the, the team planning and team training 
um, that, that Greg gives me. So I, I understand kind of it from both perspective. And uh, Saskia obviously mentioned, you know, it, whether the player's off to the side, whatever it is, to keep that tempo and the quality relevant, right? And, and I would agree with her on that perspective as well. You know, one, one thing that was really fascinating to me, and this is something that I saw Daniel Ball at Angel City do, and, and Saskia, I believe you were on the call at the same time we were watching the session design as he actually was using the, the scrimmage that was going on to work with the goalkeeper that was actually not in the match. And it was absolutely amazing what he was doing. It was like basically they were kind of it almost shadow play of what the scenario was that was going on as if they were dealing with it while they were actually active in their session. It was it was really brilliant. And I'm probably not giving it justice uh, the way I'm, I'm talking. I'm bringing it up there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It doesn't make no sense. I was sitting here. I was like, was I on that call? I'm not really <laughs> sure what you're explaining right now. <laughs> basically kevin and Todd. I know, it's okay it's okay. <laughs> okay i get it okay. but there are multiple there, there are many ways that goalkeeper coaches let's let's cut knit this in the bud um that that we try to get people at game at game speed get them to try to try to simulate a game scenario i agree with you todd at the end of the day it's never gonna it's never gonna be that it's never whether it's one third of it whether it's a quarter whether it's a half of it it's never going to be i i can't imagine the amount of of times i've yelled even at doing like functional training with shooting and being like guys game pace you're not going to get four touches in the box like you know and so like those kind of things like even having to tell forwards that yeah you know sunshine you can't bring it down three times juggle it and chip it over my keeper you know (laughs) like so as much as you can get it as close to game scenario as possible is absolutely paramount. But at the end of the day, we all know that a goalkeeper needs to play in a game and that, and that's it. That's they need that. They need the reps. They need to see the scenarios. They need to see people in the peripheral running to near post, far post slot, everything wall of shots being taken wall through balls happening, pushing your team up. You can't, you can't recreate that. Yeah. Well, but and, by the way, I would, argue, go ahead, I would argue that that's probably one of the reasons when we go back to what we talked about, you know, 20, 30 minutes ago, we had that lull in American goalkeeping. Yeah, that's probably one of the reasons why we had that law, because back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't even have the remotely opportunity for those number two and number three goalkeepers to play anywhere. Right. As you know, Kevin talked about, it's not ideal now here in the league or any of the leagues, but it's a lot better. It's a lot better with this new, uh, you know, merger with USL or whatever they, whatever they're calling it now, it seems to change, you know, yearly, but it's a lot better. That reserve league, so to speak, uh, is a lot better, or there's opportunities to go on loan to USL uh, because an MLS club have affiliations. If they don't have their own, they have an affiliation. They can go and, and send them off to at least get some of that game and help develop. So yeah. uh, it is better. Um, but I, I think that's one of the big reasons we probably at least aided in the fact that uh, we had a little bit of a lull in American goalkeeping. I, I want to bring this up right here because this is a great point by, by Itzik Rappaport, who, who's like, I don't want to hijack the entire call here, uh, but uh, shout out to Itzik for, for bringing this stuff up. And, and Kevin, you know, you obviously, you know, you're working in the game right now. He says it's never going to be real game experience, but it does work on neurological pathways in the brain. So when you do face it in reality, your brain has seen it before. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the 
in preparation, one of the things I was going through was, you know, what are the ways that we're working on this in training, I think was one of the questions that you kind of brought up. And so I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, the greatest pianists in the world are always still doing, you know, kind of, kind of their rhythm play, right? But then, uh, and, and I think you need that technically, I think you need to kind of feel the flow of it. I think you do need to ac activate those uh, pathways that he mentioned. Um, and you, but you also have to operate kind of even beyond that, right? So even game speed isn't necessarily um, ideal. Sometimes you want to overload it. Sometimes you want to, you know, you see Phil will bring out the synaptics and he'll work on his vision training. And then um, you'll, you'll set up scenarios within your session where you're, you know, having people check their shoulder and give you real-time feedback in terms of how many people are in the box and how that is going mm -hmm. to affect what their positioning looks like. There's, there's so many times where you watch a winger kind of run themselves out of a play towards the corner flag and the goalkeeper still like kind of alongside their line. And then there's mm -hmm. one really deep far post run and, it looks like they're dealing with something that's in a training environment where somebody has given this ambiguous information. Whereas if I go stand on my eight yard line, this guy is probably going to hit it to me, um, you know, pretty comfortably. Um, mm -hmm. So you're, you're always trying to figure out, you know, what, what can you be accountable for? And for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Jocko Willink fan and he has a book out called Extreme Ownership. And I just feel like anything that's in your world, like you have an impact on. And so sometimes that's managing up the chain. Sometimes it's, you know, managing the guys in front of you, whatever the case might be. Um, you have some say in keeping this ball out of your goal. And it's so I think sometimes we're really pessimistic and we say, well, I couldn't have done much there. And I start talking about, well, if you get this defender back into a better space, maybe a little bit earlier in your giving them good, effective communication that uh, that you could have maybe affected it a little bit differently, you know, and it's never a blame game to me. It's really just about, you know, how can we constantly, constantly evolve ourselves so that, you know, we can be, we can be better, you know? And, and, and so I think that there has to be a lot of trust within those conversations, but, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to always get real, real game time or real game speed, um, environment. Sometimes you want to build confidence and sometimes that confidence comes through, you know, repetition. And that's one of the things I'm always concerned about. Like I, I love repetition. I love the confidence that comes along with repetition, but I also don't want to dedicate 75% of my training session to it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about youth and like how, how important is technique to youth players? And it, it's crucial. I mean, obviously you need to, create a repeatable set of techniques that are both safe and effective so that you get the experiences that you want. You're not conceding the goals, but you have to over time begin to figure out how you're going to integrate real scenarios into uh, or integrate these techniques into real scenarios so that they make sense and they have value. Speaking of that, I, I speaking of real scenarios, I want to throw up some of these real scenarios right over here. And I want to start with literally a crazy insane match that I don't have to tell Kevin about because he was there <laughs> on, on, on Friday, how crazy this game was. And I want to start with a very simple play to the layman. Um, and, and Kevin, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about right here. We'll watch it through, but basically it's like, it's like less than a minute, I think into the game, right. Where like Roldan plays an in-swinging ball from the outside wing of my midfield inside Bondi kind of recognizes drops back recovers right there. I, I want to, I want everyone to kind of see this and I would love Kevin's breakdown here because again, 
to the layman, it looks like nothing's going on here, but there's a lot of indirect goal prevention taking place here. So let's watch it yeah, one more time through. There's a number of different factors here. I mean, I, I think we're, we're kind of making sure that we're organizing what our defense looks like, putting people in good places. Uh, and, and to be honest, I think probably the biggest, the biggest, most effective play within this is Sega, Sega Kulabali's ability to kind of bump the forward. But, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, you, you take a look and you can see Bondi's probably six to seven yards off of his line looking to kind of sweep up space in behind the defense and really help those guys out for some of this lofted service. As it comes in, it's, you know, not overhead height. He realizes his defense is going to have to deal with it. Uh, and, and it's a misclearance from Nick Depew. Uh you can see Bondi all of a sudden his momentum begins to shift. He, he looks to see how he's going to be able to help out the team. Um, and, and Sega is able to get a, a, a big push on, on Jordan Morris, who's an absolute monster. And so by, by really kind of stepping into that space, it creates a pocket which Bondi can work. And, and, and Bondi's obviously aggressive and comes up and sweeps it up. But, you know, right from the get-go, the, the number of people who are engaged on the play is pretty miraculous. And it, it ends up being a pretty easy pickup for Bondi. But mm -hmm. if he would have settled deeply early, he wouldn't have really even had access to the save in the, uh, once, it, once it comes off the foot. I, I, I love what you're saying right there, Kevin. And, there, I mean, there's so much going on here. Suski, I, I heard you kind of go like, oh! Like right there when you brought up Koulibaly and that, that bump that he gives to, to Jordan Morris. You want to kind of elaborate why you got so excited there? Well, you want your your defense, your defenders have to do that. You know, they have to give you some space to be able to come and pick up the ball. They have to shield it. And we've seen time and time again when they don't, when you see um, at certain levels when the, the defender's like, oh, their keeper's coming. And now it's, you know, you know now it's a one-on-one -on -one in a quick in a quick tight situation that bump that shielding and everything that's what you're supposed to do as a defender what i'm liking is that i love that the line that's held here like that service coming from as far out as it is a lot of times you'll see whether it's in the women's game or some you know men's games like that line drops so deep and the space between the goalkeeper and your back line is so congested that creates chaos and like i'm always like get out of my way like, get out of my area. Give me the space. Let me have this. You guys hold your line. If this gets, you know, mishandled there, now there's time to make up for the, for the, for the mistake. Um, but if everybody's just dropping back and dropping back, and now that forces you as a goalkeeper to drop back into the goal, now it's chaos. So I like that the line's held high. I like that he gives himself space to make up for the mistake. And I love Kalabali knocking him off on his ass, per personally. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, so. and I think the important thing is for uh, youth goalkeeper coaches, and especially youth goalkeepers, uh, is obviously the information that I'm sure he was giving to delay, to have them hold their line, all that information was there. But it's the starting position for me, for him yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of goalkeepers, and this is what I was you know, talking about before, shot stoppers versus goalkeeper. This is a goalkeeping starting position. Agreed. The shot stopper is probably three or four yards back closer to his line. And probably then when that ball does sneak through, he's unable to win that ball. And he's waiting for the shot. Yeah, which and, is what happens a lot right. at the youth level. And you're also forcing the server, I agree with you a thousand percent, because now when the server looks up to serve that ball, there is no space in there. They're not looking to serve it like five yards in from the top of the D. They're like, well, the keeper's there. Yep. Like, I can't. Now I have to drop it in outside the D and, and everything. So I totally agree with you. 
Well, and especially, and I think you said this was the first, I didn't see the game. So I, I was this the first minute of the game? I love that yeah. Kevin's just Please. smiling. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not as good at jumping in as you guys are. You know, I always ask kids one question, you know, and, and I, it's a trick question. Well, what's the most important cross you're ever going to face? You know, and you'll get, oh, it's a corner. Well, it might be. Oh, it's uh, a deep end line cross. It might be. Yeah, it's a cutback. Uh, it might be. It's the first one. The first one you face in a game is the most important one because if he's standing on his line, when that cross comes in, what's that person serving the ball going to do the next time they get the ball? Keep They're playing it in behind that face. If you're coming out big and strong and you're winning the ball, again, have you had an effect on the game? Yes. Yeah, now that person that's on the ball on the flank the next time is going, oh, boy, I got to keep it away from the goalkeeper today. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's, it's that first cross. And if this is the first minute of the game, I think he made a – great statement on the game that he's going to be there and he's going to suck up anything that comes through there by his starting position and, and how he's organized his back four. I think this is great. Todd, I love what you just said right there. I was never even, I wasn't even thinking about that, but it, it kind of goes back to what, what Itzik was talking about mindset, you know, in his webinar yesterday is the mindset is that Kevin, like if your mindset is r- ready and engaged, ready to go that first minute, you make an impression right there you've indirectly affected the game because they're going to change their game plan. Maybe not at this, at this level, but definitely at the youth level based on what they're seeing. Cause they may have not seen you play before. So. It's yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead Kevin. No, I was, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think that there's a number of different ways that you can really, you know, es- establish your perception within a game. Um, and it can, it can be, your positioning, early positioning here from Bondi is probably, like we said, probably seven to eight yards out. Um, but it, it's it's also, I mean, you can see his footwork. I mean, he's also able to separate himself and get back to that 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 arc that he really likes to make saves in, probably three to four yards from his goal when he when he's trying to figure out if Morris is going to get a touch to it. But right. he's also he ebbs and he flows with it. He's able to make adjustments within it. There's a lot of work that goes into into this. You know, uh, I'm forcing the guys every time that we're doing shooting exercises. Are you addressing every phase of the shooting exercise? Because there's so many goalkeepers that will just sit underneath their cro- underneath mm-hmm. their crossbar and just wait to make the final save. And uh, you know, from from a perspective of focus, from a perspective of cardiovascular training, mm-hmm. you have to be engaged throughout these saves because this is moves where he's contemplating whether he's going to be taking this ball 14 to 16 yards out as a cross, whether it's going to come off of Morris and he's going to be two to three yards from his line or whether it's going to skip free and he's going to pick it up eight to nine yards from his goal. So um, he has to be identifying all the different possibilities that happen within this, um, this one little scenario right here. And we talk about, you know, all you're really doing is trying to identify, prioritize and execute. Right. And, that happens thousands of times every game. And if, if, you're, if you're not able to kind of focus for more than two minutes at a time, it's a really difficult thing to be a top-level goalkeeper, and we're really fortunate to have, have the goalkeepers that we have working with us right now. Yeah, I mean, Mike, we can even go down to footwork. 
Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, break it down. Like backing up, his body weight still forward. So the minute that mm -hmm. this gets mishandled, he can, he's he's not on his heels. He's not flat footed. His first step is forward, even though he was backing up, and he can attack the ball and be on point. I mean, we can get that that down and deep into it if you want. I'm no. I mean, I I, I that's why I love this clip, and and I I don't want to monopolize this clip as because I got other other ones that I wanted to show here, and I know Kevin sent some stuff too, but like literally so many young goalkeepers would be running out at this ball and just to show at the highest levels, the patience to then drop, create a little bit of depth. So you have time to come forward and cover that space. That's just, in my opinion, that's high GK, GKIQ. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would say that th I think the, one of the reasons that, that Jonathan gets more of these right than not is he, he's constantly, exploring these spaces in training right and so uh i think some of the clips that i showed you i think even today i think there's probably two that he gets right but i think there's one that he gets really like far <laughs> off but they have they they, ha they have to believe that uh you know they can they can have these experiences in training and they can see what they're capable of coming up with without fear of repercussion right i, I think that they're obviously at my level like you you want to make sure that you know there's some healthy fear but i also think that uh, they, they some of this stuff in behind the line is not cut and dry and, and until you're gauging what the field looks like and what the pace of the opponent and yourself and all those things, how they interact with one another. Uh, I'd much rather have somebody that's failing occasionally than somebody that's sit, sitting on, on their line rooted to it. Absolutely. And this, like we said, it's could have gone like five other ways. Like, you know, he doesn't get the block on the player, like stuff like that. It's could have been a totally different type of save. So, okay, you can move on, Mike. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on, and 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 Kevin, it's hilarious because it's like a five-hour podcast. <laughs> I know there's just there's so much meat in the first five minutes of the Seattle match <laughs> to go over, and, and and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just from a from an educational standpoint, there was so much that happened in the first few minutes right here. So I want to move on. This is this is the third minute of the match. Uh, I think it's it's, it's a long ball. <laughs> <laughs> by Gomez from outside the circle. Uh, and I think Morris is double teamed right here. Uh, and now Bondi moves laterally to kind of cover that space basically right there uh, because he recognizes kind of that like he needs to step in and recover the ball uh, so that there's not a moment for Morris to come onto the ball. I mean, again, this looks really simple to kind of the untrained eye if you want to walk us through. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's he's got... I mean, we're talking about 44 yards laterally that you're, you're talking about within the goal area. So um, you're positioning yourself not, not just in line with the center of the goal and the ball, but with prospective, you know, runners and people that might be on the get, able to get on the other side of it. Doran Morris is a player that, you know, will run from between the center back and the outside back into that assist zone space all the time. And so you have to be really engaged. You can see that you know, Bondi has done a good job in terms of effectively judging that Nick DePew is going to be able to to shield it from some perspective. So he's not necessarily dealing with a looped shot over right. his head. So he is in a little bit more of an advanced position. But if Nick solely bumps him off, then, then you know, Bondi's probably going to have to deal with this 15 to 16 yards outside the box. It eventually ends up, I think, hitting off Nick's thigh or off his foot or something and and, and, and kind of scuttles itself towards the end line and, and Bonnie is able to kind of kind of scurry over there and pick it up. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's just another example of him supporting his defense. And 
whatever he can do to take the burden off of these guys, you know, they're on islands. They're, they're, they're in big spaces against really top level players. And uh, I, I, I'm a big believer that if he's able to take some of that pressure off of the guys, then, then that's going to do nothing but kind of reinforce the relationship that they have. He's going to be able to expect them to track something down that maybe they wouldn't in, in other circumstances, because, uh, they see his willingness to kind of bail them out of some awkward spots themselves. Uh, I love what you were just saying in regards to the ownership, Todd. I know that's something that you've talked about consistently over and over again, is that, you know, if you're, if you're a defender and you see your goalkeeper come over to make sure that ball doesn't cross the line right there and they're chasing and they're covering it up and now you have possession, you know that that, that you know, that man or woman has your back. Well, and you and you can you can see that in them because they've got faith and trust that the person in behind them is there and is going to be covering that space that's in behind them, and you can see that, and it allows them to just do their job and maybe try to get a bump in and knock Jordan Morris off a little bit because they know, yep, their goalkeeper's behind there and they're going to clean it up because of their positioning. Uh, and again, that confidence and that uh, comfort level comes from the training ground. You know, being yeah. put in these scenarios over and over again that they've got the comfort level in him. So it's not just him getting the comfort level right. in his position and everything. It's them getting the reverse. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to go back to what Todd said. Also, like if you're a shot stopper, you're not in that position. And what's that mean? That's a corner kick. You're not getting there. Right. So the the little things we see that change the game. Right. So his positioning is great. If there's a flick ball, if it's towards him, he can come and pick it up. He can take care of it. It's not going over his head. We know that for the pressure on the ball and the type of service. Look how high he is. If you're a shot stopper and you're inside your six, you're not getting to this. You're not cleaning it up. Now it's a corner kick and a possible goal. Yep. And, and I, I, I just corner kicks at this level are huge. Are, are huge. I mean, it's, you know, I talk to kids all the time, <laughs> you know, when we talk about footwork and handling and, and, You've heard me say this a million times. I think holding, catching and holding the ball is becoming a lost art. And oh, my God. Oh, my you know? God. And, 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 I, and I tell kids, you know, at the pro game, you know, when I was in MLS, on that ball that you could have held, you could have held, and you parried it wide. Now you've got Carlos Vela, yep. all right, or Mega Rapino, or yep. somebody that's a dangerous player in a dangerous position. And now your six foot five center backs are also coming into your box. Yeah. It's a danger on a ball that you could have held. I'm not talking about the ball that you're at full stretch and you're pushing it wide. Yeah, yeah. those are the ones we want to put out. I'm talking about the ones you should have held. And this is the same sort of scenario like you just said. I, I get made I get made fun of <laughs> by some of our coaches out here in Southern California because I, they always like, they'll come to like, when I was at UCLA, they'll come to a game and like Warren would have made a save or like parried it and they'll be like, hold the ball. Because I'm like, hold the ball. I'm like, catch the ball. Like, because <laughs> don't give up rebounds that don't have to happen. And I agree with you, Todd. It's not the outstretched. It's not the tip over the bar. It's not that it's, it's, Kids today do that that automatic parry thing or automatic block because of what they've seen at a higher level and whether it's the or whoever it is, like Schmeichel or somebody just blocking the ball. And I'm like, dude, the ball's not coming at you at 90 miles an hour, just volley it to you. So like, like catch the ball. And it's a lost art that needs to come back. Period. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, so I wanna I wanna play one more clip right here um kevin i was just trying to download your stuff and it's still 
downloading. So uh, apologize. I just got the email. No, that's, <laughs> that okay. You, that's okay. It, it was really just a collection of crosses where he kind of helped bail out his teammates and then a, a collection of, of balls that he's dealing with at the top of the 18 and even beyond. So uh, you can feel free to maybe attach it to the later or if it comes in in time. Then we'll I want to talk about more it. about the crossing comment is what, why, why is crossing such an issue? And I want, I would love to get into that. <laughs> like, Okay, well, so here's a, here's a crossing clip, I think. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Or handling crossing, positioning on crossing, everything. I mean, I know my opinion, but I, I know my opinion, and I'll, <laughs> I've voiced it at many, many times. Um, <laughs> I, in my opinion, young kids struggle with their cross for one reason. When do they see them? They see them in full games, hundred miles an hour, under full pressure. They never see uncontested, unchallenged, where they can, they don't have to worry about all the layers of pressure are off and they just worry about their range. And then you add a layer of pressure and then they get comfortable. And I make the analogy of when you're, I've got two kids. So when you're, when your son or daughter turns 16, you would never take the keys to the car and say, you know what? We're going to the interstate. First time around the wheel. You would never do that. No. You know, but when we when we ask young goalkeepers to deal with a cross, the only time they're really seeing them is in a full game situation, yeah. and that's like literally giving them keys to the car and going on the freeway. You know, we've we've got to we've got to put them on the the parking lot with no pressure, and then eventually put them on the side road, get them on the main street, then progress them. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we struggle with cross at the youth game is because we never take the time. I think, but I think it's also this, and and I've gotten into it with some youth coaches before. They don't tra they don't train it. Their kids can't hit serve a ball. They're more worried about effectiveness in their training session than they are about that. And so it's like I've had coaches come up to me and be like, "Your goalkeeper can't hit, you know, a, like a fifty yard goal kick. Your goalkeeper can't." I'm like, "Well, your kids can't hit a cross. So why don't you take all the the whole team and teach them how to serve a ball." Before you come at me and tell me my goalkeeper can't serve a ball, your team can't serve a ball. I got in a big fight about that one. But the truth <laughs> is, it's when do you ever see that in the youth game that they're in a training session that they're – no, they serve a slotted ball, a ball on the ground. They come towards the goal. Nobody's serving that. I used to finish every single practice pro in college at Rutgers, everything with crosses. Every practice, it'd be like, all right, guys, the team's like stretching down. Goalkeepers would go in. We do crosses, crosses under pressure, crosses just to get our range down, everything. Crosses, crosses, crosses. Yeah, I would I would say that I'm not even <laughs> sure within the, the realm of goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches that we have full clarity on, you know, what what's the expectation? Because there's a certain percentage of very high-level goalkeeping coaches that don't want to see goalkeepers come. I mean, if you watch the premiership, there's there's goalkeepers on corner kicks that are rooted to the line and they're allowing the defense to deal with everything. And then from my perspective, I'm like, okay, well, if you have these kind of guys integrated into a zone, then this would be the area that you would be responsible for. Um, and, and so I even think, I'm not sure that, everybody is coming for crosses anymore. And, and I think it's purposeful from some perspective. I think that there's some, some people believe that, you know, we're more likely to concede if you come and you're unable to claim it, 
I'd much rather just have you stay on the line and try to deal with redirected shots on frame. And so until we can get clarity on that, or I mean, I, I know what my clarity is. But it's uh, a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, I think it, it's something that has to be has to be kind of worked out kind of internally about what are your expectations? Because but internally, a, our expectation is that you're coming for some stuff. Our right, but it's a catch. It's not a, that you're sitting there. But like I said, it's a catch-22. Like Kevin Todd, like if you're not training your keeper to own their area, at least like a certain part of the six and come and be able to come up and be strong and go for crosses. And you're saying stay on the line. And then you're like, just shot block. And the, it, and everybody's like piled on top of you. And then you get the quick flick and it's a goal. Well, and then we stand back and say, couldn't you have just stepped five, like two yards off your line and caught that? Like, you know, if you're not going to train it, then yes, stick your goalkeeper on the line and let them shot stop, but train it and imagine, imagine the area that they could cover. Well, (laughs) Let's just take it real quick, Todd. Just let's just take in this, this picture right here in regards to this deep in outswinging service right here that Bondi comes out outside is six covering that gap. How many young goalkeepers would literally just like right here when that services comes in? Yeah. How many young goalkeepers just go back, go back, or they go towards the the near post or hoping that that, that dude's going to do something about it as opposed to recognize, well, I can just claim this space. There's the, there's enough air underneath this ball for me to come and just claim this space. And now there's no danger whatsoever. Well, and, and you've seen me with my little pie graph before of, of the, when I break down touches, right? Uh, that I, all my years in MLS, I compile them all together. And I know this is opening up a whole new discussion, but <laughs> the percentage of interventions from the goalkeeper is higher in dealing with a cross than it is diving safes. And yet in training, how many youth goalkeeper coaches just concentrate on diving, 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 diving. And yet that's a less percentage of touches or interventions. What do you want to call them? than you know, is that that goalkeeper deal with the cross and yet we ignore it and we don't train it. So that for me is, is a pretty powerful statistic and I'm not a big stat person for our game. We're not baseball. Uh, but that's a pretty powerful one that, that uh, I think if for any young goalkeeper coach that's out there, if when we talk about let's create real environments in yeah. our training, that's real. You, it, you've got to train what the game is giving you. If the game mm-hmm. is giving you 20% of your interventions or crosses, 20% of your training should be dealing with the cross. If right. 10% is dealing with the diving save, then 10% should be dealing with diving saves, not the reverse, which most of the time, 90% of youth goalkeeping revolves around diving. So yeah. I know that's a that's a whole new can of No, worms. and I, I agree with you on that. When 90% of the game you're doing distribution, and yeah. and how much is focused on that? Oh, you know, you're supposed to be able to side volley kick, do that, and everything like that. We're not going to train it. You're just supposed to be able to do it. That's ninety percent of what a goalkeeper. Or or you're just doing or or you're just doing it in isolation, Suskia. Like there's a lot of Absolutely. there's a lot of session designs out there, Kevin, and I'm sure you can attest to this of, of young goalkeeper coaches out there who I see their session design and it's like, okay, you're just teaching them how to pass in isolation. You know, there's no pressure coming right here. You're not teaching them how to how to escape. You're not teaching them how to f- find the right targets. You're not teaching them how to move off the ball in possession. All those sorts of things. And I think you know yeah. that comes back into your conversation about sweeping. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think one of the things that you know within the academy that we probably would want to integrate is if you're playing four v two over a twelve by twelve space, like 
you'll see more like about how you're going to find your six, like what, what those bounces look like, you know, what the importance of, you know, your first touch, et cetera, the pace of the pass, then, then you're going to see kind of in a lot of scenarios. I agree about the, 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 the that side of it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at some of the video that you've kind of thrown up here. Um, it's interesting because you're showing the game from Colorado from what I can see. And I mean, I, I can't imagine how many games that, that Jonathan Bond has played at a mile high in altitude, but I can't imagine it's it, it's very many. Um, so, you know, for him to have a real comfortability sitting eight yards from, from goal when this guy gets his head up and swings it to the back post, when he's talking about intercepting a ball that, you know, is to a speedy, speedy striker, you know, 10 to 15 yards outside of his box – uh, it, it, it's really amazing how quickly these things come together for him. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of no nonsense from some perspective, but the, the number of opportunities that he's kind of come out and dealt with situations like this per, per this year, uh, especially, uh, re- really makes it so that he has two or three mistakes that I, I, I'm not going to say anything to him because he's eliminated so many situations where we're really in a pickle. Um, and, and, and he steps out and he really does a great job of kind of managing that space. And, you know, we talk a lot about starting positions, about being able to split that space in behind the defense with recovering defenders and, and what that looks like. And, and, you know, he, he's, he's involved in it all the time, you know, and, uh, you know, certainly it, it is very demanding to be able to make decisions like that up in Denver. I, I want to bring this up right here, you know, and I know guys, we've been we can going for a while here, so I apologize, but there's, there's a lot of really good stuff going on right here. Um, because this is, this is really a fascinating thing because I wanted to bring this up because it's the one time clearance right here. And we've seen two examples in the men's game in the last few days. Are we talking about go- Mendy? We're talking about Mendy. And then we're talking about, the, <laughs> and then we're talking about, that? we're talking about the Rangers game, the PSV Rangers game yesterday, where the exact same thing happened. And the goalkeeper, I forgot who it was, after their prep touch tried to tried to escape rather than just play it into a into a good area. Um, Kevin or Todd, if, if either one of you was wants to step in here, why it's so important for young goalkeepers to see that this is okay. There's nothing wrong with this. You don't have to escape and show your foot skills in every moment. Well, if if, I if, I just, if I can go back to that that clip real quick before we venture into that, and I'll let Kevin take that one. But <laughs> I think that this is another thing we talk about our league, which I think if if you haven't played in this league or been a part of this league, you you kind of take for granted. But this is in Colorado. Mm-hmm. That ball played in there is different than it was if it was in LA. And that's that's the difficulty on a week to week to week to basis, depending on where you are. His decision making here in Colorado or his starting position is probably different than it is in L.A. Just because the way that ball is going to move at mile high. And what about this weekend in New England? Right. That ball checks up on turf on turf. You know, so so there's a number of different factors you're considering, obviously. Uh, it, it goes back to the original service. Like if that's Carlos Gill this weekend, it's, it's a totally different ball than, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of players within the league He's probably one of the best playmakers um, w- within the league. So uh, you have, you have to take kind of all of those different things, prioritize, you know, w- what's, what's most, most pressing at that point. But I guess, I guess the thing for me is, 
Jonathan is a player that enjoys playing out of the back. You know, he's somebody that probably played as a field player until until maybe a little bit further along than most people do. Um, it loves to, trying to figure out ways to kind of manipulate the opponent, try to figure out ways that we can play out of the back. And uh, one of our biggest issues is that we're, we're looking to see where the pressure is coming from so then he can kind of work off of that. Um, but within that, if the ball's two to three yards, you don't really have that 70-yard clearance anymore, right? And, and so – we, we talk a lot about safety, but uh, a comfortability and also building out. And, and we're really, I think, really fortunate to have somebody that is, is able to buy themselves time on the ball, um, but also I, I think makes really clear decisions. And you saw the, the decisions within not coming on the ball that, you know, was kind of awkward at the top of the box. And there, there's a whole, there's a whole litany of examples of that, but even here, just full clarity that, I'm not really going to monkey around with this thing. I'm going to, exactly. I'm going to go ahead and knock it out of bounds and, you know, live to fight another day. And, and, and there still is that. I don't, I don't think, you know, the game has evolved beyond the point where uh, we, we can't respect, you know, the risk reward factor within the game. It still exists. Yeah. I mean, I bring up Mendy for like, what are you doing? Just dump, uh, dump it out for a corner. As much as I hate corner kicks, like, what are you doing? Why are you cutting about ball back after his third touch and trying, what are you doing? Like you're on the end, just dump the ball out for a corner. Live to fight another day. Like it's that it's that mental aspect, that concept, that understanding what's going on, the situations, and being able to implement the right decision at the right time. Now, I I will say this: play devil's advocate right here. What? And, and I'm going to say that no, not with Mendy, <laughs> not with Mendy, because I'm going to say there's a very big difference between first team football in a situation in a competitive match like that and a nine, 10 year old that you want them to explore and learn from their mistakes and know when they have time on the ball and when they don't have time on the ball. Right, Todd? There is, but I think even yeah. with, okay. with that okay. young goalkeeper, I want them to explore, but I I'm still going to tell them the same thing. I'm going to tell a pro, you know, you get paid to keep okay. the ball in the back of the net. They get paid to okay. deal with the ball at their feet. Okay. You know, you do the simple things to give them the ball. You don't need to do a step over or a Cruyff turn in the back or thread a needle because Thank that's you. the risk reward that Kevin's talking about. Thank you, know? you. exactly. I would rather have the, the ball 80 yards from our goal than me trying to thread a needle 20 yards from goal and it doesn't come off because now well, I think I'm essentially creating more work for myself. Yeah, but yeah, and there's a time and place to, to test the limits here. First of all, <laughs> no goalkeeper should be doing a Cruyff Coif move or anything and a, a cut back. two goalkeepers in four days look I'm yeah and what and and how many are in the back of the net Both. So, <laughs> yeah so that's my point like when in doubt put it in the stands when in doubt kick it out like and live to fight another day i agree with kevin a hundred percent we're also teaching the mental aspect of this game you're not you're proactive you're not reactive you have to make we're teaching young kids to make the right decisions yeah not be so literal. No, no, you're you're right. You're 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 bringing up great you're bringing up great points right there. You you, you really Mike, did you do a Cruyff in your game this weekend? No, I did not. Actually, I played great last Thursday. I'm gonna jinx it now. So we had, I Kevin last week, Kevin and Todd last week on the on the podcast. I talked about the shocker I had the week before in my men's league our, in our, our opening match for my men's league, and uh, and yeah, and so Cody Lorendi was on. And we were, we were joking around about talking about, you know, scouting and identifying players, you know, would not have identified me. Um, 
But I played very well last Thursday. I mean, we lost. We still got didn't you know? We need people need to score. I'm all I'm saying. People need to score, and uh, and and so I did not try to do a Cruyff turn. Uh, I I understood my limitations and I cleared the ball into the stands. There you go. When, <laughs> when 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 necessary. But but I think you know just kind of shutting the door on this entire topic here with this sweeping aspect right there, Kevin, is a lot of young goalkeepers. They watch it, Erson, and they think, oh. That's they see the highlights. They think that's what he's doing the whole game. No, watch actually do a match analysis and actually watch Ederson playing with Man City. Most of it is simple movements off the ball and simple passing. It's every once in a while that you'll see those extreme plays, which unfortunately social media loves to gravitate to, or the highlights gravitate to, because ESPN's not showing or NBC showing highlights of you know the possession build pass, you know square ball across five yards, you know. Um, so a lot of young goalkeepers need to know that when we're talking about them playing with their feet in possession, it's about making the job easy for the players in front of them. I, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the things with Ederson is he's playing at Man City and they have probably one of the best tacticians that ever has coached the game, you know, setting everybody up in positions for success. Right. And, you know, they they they, they know pretty early on, like what the build out shape looks like. And more often than not, people have, uh, you know, genuine options with, you know, cover underneath it. Um, and, and so there's a lot more, uh, I think, confidence playing out of the back when you're in a system that has those types of options. And so it's really important that, uh, you know, just like we talked about, you know, starting to evolve yourself technically at a young age is starting to really kind of understand, you know, what are the concepts of your build out? What are the expectations and what are legitimate options? Um, and, and then, uh, you know, as a counterpoint to, you know, not taking any risks, there've been a ton of times where I've, I've knocked the ball long and then somebody comes and wins it. We're late stepping out. And then all of a sudden it's, it's in the back of uh, back of the net another way, you know? So, uh, there, there is genuine value in possession. Um, I, I think the, the, the risk taking, you know, you have to be really dialed in with, with what you can accomplish and, and really just understanding your game. And, and, and so, we talk about how you use your practice time, et cetera, um, so, so that you can be confident within all of this. But yeah, I think uh, I, I've, I keep talking. I always go back to, to sidewinders because everybody's like, oh man, did you see that sidewinder? And I, 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 I am a stat guy. I track all this stuff and I can tell you, um, you know, I think Vancouver Bondi takes a cross at the back space and ends up hitting the sidewinder over like 60 to 65 yards. and ends up being the assist for, for our first goal. And I, but I, I never see it really. I never see this sidewinder. More often than not, he builds out of the back. More often than not, over forty to forty-five yards, we complete like a hundred percent of our throws. And and any time that we start bringing out this sidewinder, I can tell you that the numbers are not that effective. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm not real sure. Besides, besides uh, some of the Instagram guys, like how, how this how the sidewinder is real real valuable. But, uh, <laughs> Well, that was a conversation that I actually had with Nikki when I was at RSL because Nikki yeah. sidewinded everything. You know, he would sidewinder, you know, a 15 yard pass. I'm like, what are you doing? Why, why don't you ever roll that or throw that? He's like, oh, I'm more yeah. oh sidewinder. <laughs> it looks cool. I'm like, okay. I, I, I actually had to show like our goalkeepers. I was like, I put up like little mini goals and I was just like, okay, I want you to sideline the ball into that goal. Go ahead, do it, do it. Miss, 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 miss. Now I want you to throw the ball into the goal. Make it, make it, make it. I was like, you see my point here? Kind of <laughs> like, 
What's well, going Nikki, on? Nikki, in to Nikki, Nikki was pretty doggone good at it. So Nikki I was, was no way I was going to change him. <laughs> Nikki was incredible. Nikki was in Nikki was incredible. Um, well, guys, I Get appreciate the people you guys what they want. That's right. <laughs> That's right. There, there you go. Um, well, guys, I appreciate you guys taking all this time today. Honestly, uh, you know, Kevin, obviously you're in the middle of the season right now and you got to head out to, I think, New England tomorrow, right? You guys have New England? Yeah, we're heading to New England and then we off, we're off to Toronto. So a little road swing. Nice. Oh, look at that. Look at that road swing right there. Um, if, uh, if anybody wants to connect with you directly, where's the best place to connect? You, 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 have you probably, shut down? Probably your... LinkedIn. Yeah, probably LinkedIn. Yeah, because you shut down your I social did. medias, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. I tried to try to spend a little bit more time with the family and a little bit less time <laughs> scrolling through my uh, my feeds. So I, I've got my LinkedIn still set up. But beyond that, it's, it's pretty dead right now on the on the social media front for me. <laughs> Well, uh, well, I, I, you still have your union account. If you ever, if you ever want to start posting and engaging there, you can still, uh, still post over there. I think that, you have even that might be blue, blue check mark there. You got a blue there check. Mark. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, think it's about... like I think it's light brown, but that's okay. Okay, light brown. Whatever. Siskiya <laughs> knows because she probably has the app open right now. Uh, and speaking <laughs> of the union, guys, if you want to check out upcoming webinars and courses on the union sports, uh, register and subscribe right over here. Here is the link right there where there's actually an e-course right now uh, by the one, one and only Todd Hofford on there that you can uh, you can purchase uh, over there. So shout out to Todd Hofford for uh, for giving us a, a plethora of content right over there. Um, we've also got uh, another webinar coming up with Itzik Rappaport who gave seven questions I think today uh, and he apologizes for hijacking the show with mental questions but uh, I think they were we relevant love it. we love it. it so uh, you can always do that and Todd if people want to connect with you outside of that I think you have a union account too you can start DMing him there too yeah I do I'm, I'm maybe one step ahead of Kevin where I actually <laughs> have social media but I'm awful on it <laughs> so I'm maybe a little better but not much I'm, I'm really really bad at it so. Oh my gosh, guys. And obviously if you want to reach out to us guys, uh, you can reach out to Suskia Weber's traditional social media is blowing up now. Cause I just saw you were doing a, what were you doing? Uh, in a, a thing for birdies for angel yeah. city yesterday. A little commercial, a little commercial, a little yeah, commercial. I guess that's what happens when you get the cover of USA today. You know, I guess in the sports section, I guess that's what happens. You get uh, these opportunities right there. Um, or guys, you can reach out to us for a guest suggestion, topic suggestion at contact at inside the 18 media com or at goalkeeper podcast on all socials including the union sports i've been telling people if you want to dm start dming on the union sports we are checking it consistently start engaging start creating over there start sharing with people out there um and uh anything else anything else i'm using oh at michael magic if you want to reach out to me directly Suski's like all right let's let's wrap this let's get this going <laughs> we're done hey thank you guys well, really appreciate absolutely. it sure. I was absolutely absolutely awesome session Thanks for sure for guys me. All right, that's all the time on Inside the 18, and we are out. Later, guys.